Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Welcome to another edition of Sentencing Commission Confidential, uh, an irregular uh, series of podcasts that I've done over the last couple of years having to do with the uh, sentencing guidelines, in, in particular, uh, Chapter 8 of the uh, sentencing guidelines, the organizational sentencing guidelines. And, uh, and for the last couple of episodes, I've been talking about uh, uh, the uh, presentation uh, that myself and Kathleen Grilly, the general counsel of the U.S. Sentencing Commission, put together uh, with some able help from the staff of the U.S. Sentencing Commission uh, on the guidelines. Um, and today I want to talk about uh, organizational uh, data. Uh, every year, and I should preface this by saying, when we're talking about the sentencing guidelines, obviously we're talking about uh, talking about standards that are only applied when an organization, ultimately only applied when a sta- when an organization is standing in front of a district court judge in federal court and being sentenced uh, for a federal offense. The organizational sentencing guidelines have become uh, de facto standard uh, for effective programs overall, even those organizations that aren't uh, necessarily imminently facing uh, a criminal case. Uh, but uh, for those organizations that do end up finding themselves in front of of a federal judge being sentenced, uh, one of the other aspects of the Sentencing Commission that, again, is not necessarily all that well known uh, by those in the compliance space because we know the sentencing guideline standards, but we don't know, uh, oftentimes, uh, unless you come from a criminal litigation background, you don't know too much else about the Sentencing Commission. Uh, one other aspect of what the Sentencing Commission does is collects data. Uh, Now, every year there are uh, tens of thousands, between 70 and 75,000 individuals, actual humans, that get sentenced in federal court in the United States. Uh, And there are somewhere between 150 uh, and 200 traditionally uh, organizations that get sentenced, although that number has uh, changed over the years. Uh, So uh, there's not as many uh, organizations to gather data from, but the Sentencing Commission still has a mandate to gather sentencing data for every sentencing that occurs in the United States. And that includes um, organizations, companies that end up being sentenced in federal court. And so uh, one of the things that we presented, one of the items that we presented in, uh, in D.C. Uh, at SCCE's uh, Compliance and Ethics Institute this year, about a month ago, was uh, looking at uh, mo- the most recent uh, data that's available. Now, if you look in the show notes for this particular podcast, um, I'll have the uh, HTML link to uh, sentencing data for organizations on the Sentencing Commission's website. Uh, for those of you that uh, just want to find it yourself, you can go to ussc.gov. That's the Sentencing Commission's website. And you can look, uh, there's a whole section on organizational uh, guidelines where you can find data and also other information 
uh, about the organizational sentencing guidelines. It's a really good uh, primer uh, for those of you who want to learn more about the commission that has set these compliance standards. So uh, one of the first uh, data points that the commission uh, has collected over the years is the total number of cases. And I mentioned this is, you know, usually not uh, uh, not ne nearly as many, not even a fraction uh, of the cases that we see of individuals. Over the years, uh, it's fluctuated between 150 and 200, but it's uh, gone down over the last few years. Uh, in uh, uh, 2016 through 2018, it's gone down from 132 cases in uh, 2016, 131 uh, in 2017, and just 99 uh, organizational cases uh, in 2018. Uh, there haven't, hasn't been that few uh, organizational cases in well over 10 years. Um, now, what does that mean? Does that mean that the uh, the Department of Justice and the various US, U.S. attorney's offices are not being as aggressive? Um, well, it could mean that, or it could mean that they're resolving these cases short of uh, criminal um, guilty pleas or, or trying these cases to uh, a guilty verdict. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not being as aggressive in enforcement. It just means that perhaps they're enforcing in other ways. And that might also mean uh, civil settlements or regulatory settlements uh, or regulatory cases um, as well as criminal cases. The breakdown in what uh, makes up those 99 cases is uh, pretty consistent with what it's been over the years. Uh, the about a quarter of these cases are environmental uh, cases in nature. That means uh, clean air, clean water cases, uh, toxic pollutants and hazardous wastes. Uh, the next largest group of cases uh, is characterized as fraud. That's going to include things like not only FCPA, which we all uh, hear a lot about, but but just uh, wire fraud and mail fraud, uh, traditional uh, federal offenses. And the vast majority of those are, are those sorts of cases. That makes up about 23% of the docket. Uh, other areas that uh, make up a significant percentage include food and drug violations and antitrust violations. That's 14% food and drug violations and about 9% antitrust. Uh, the rest uh, of the cases are in various areas, money laundering, public corruption, uh, copyright infringement, and uh, uh, even a few cases uh, in uh, 2018 that were firearms related. Um, it looks like a couple of cases there. Um, the uh, size of organizations, this is another uh, data point around uh, organizational sentencing that uh, the commission um, looks at uh, on an annual basis. And it's uh, another data point that I've talked about a lot in the past and uh, it continues to be remain pretty consistent. And that's that overwhelmingly the size of organizations that get charged uh, end up uh, taking a guilty plea or being found guilty in federal court and being sentenced, the overwhelming number of these organizations are very small, very small. 62% uh, in 2018 were, had less than 50 employees. If you add in all organizations that had less than uh, 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 500 employees, you're talking about uh, about 78% or so, um, or 79%. So, you know, nearly eight out of 10 organizations have less than 500 employees. So that's pretty small. These are organizations that 
typically probably don't even have uh, what we would recognize as a compliance program, many of them. Uh, and uh, that might, uh, you know, mean uh, that might give us some indication as why as to why they're in the situation that they're in, uh, uh, either pleading guilty or being found guilty of uh, federal criminal offenses. Uh, but but, uh, you know, maybe that's a chicken or the egg question. I don't know. Uh, but but just you, you should know that year in, year out, uh, it's smaller organizations that find themselves on the receiving end of uh, of these sentences. Um, that also, I think, should be a wake-up call for smaller organizations, although it's, a, again, a small group. You know, we're talking about less than 100, just under 100 organizations in 2018. Uh, but still, uh, this is a pretty significant situation. Uh, many of these organizations probably cease to exist um, after they take a federal criminal uh, conviction. Um, uh, certainly they do if they are... Um, uh, doing any kind of government work because they're probably going to be debarred uh, from that government work. Uh, but uh, it, it's, uh, um, I think, a wake up, wake up call for small organizations that uh, there, you know, there there is enforcement that that gets uh, that traps organizations in its net uh, that that includes smaller organizations, not just the headline grabbers that we hear all the time, uh, the multinationals, the big organizations that make the headlines. Uh, we don't usually hear about these cases uh, uh, unless we happen to be connected to them. And th I think that's uh, uh, part, partly because they're smaller organizations. Another uh, factor that's looked at is how often a organizational case uh, results in an individual uh, being a co-defendant. And in other words, uh, the um, misconduct that gave rise to the criminal case for the organization also gave rise to a criminal case for at least one actual human being uh, in, in the same circumstances. Um, this is interesting because uh, you may remember uh, just a few years ago, there was uh, one of these many memos that have come out of the Department of Justice uh, regarding um, organizational um, enforcement. The Yates Memo. You may remember the Yates Memo. It came out uh, a couple of years ago, and it's named for the then Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates. And and uh, that came out a few years ago and suggested that there needed to be uh, more focus on individuals in uh, these corporate or white-collar investigations. Um, that was revised uh, in uh, late uh, or mid, I believe, or maybe it was late 2018 by then uh, subsequent Deputy Attorney General uh, Rosenstein uh, to kind of loosen that approach up. But the reality is, is if you look at uh, organizations, uh, the, the, the individuals that have been sentenced alongside organizations, these numbers have been consistent uh, for a long time, and it's about 50-50. Um, in uh, 2017, uh, in 45.8% of uh, organizational cases, there was a, a human, an actual individual, who was sentenced along with the organization. And uh, in uh, 2018, uh, that was 45.5. And that's, again, remained pretty consistent through, through the years. If you go back five or 10 years, it's about 50-50. 
And the Yates Memorandum, at least so far, as through uh, the information that we have in 2018 and 2017, hasn't affected that. Um, uh, the likelihood of there being an individual sentenced along with the organization is about the, about the same, and it's 50, about 50%. Um, when you drill down and look at those individuals and, and try to see who they are uh, by their, um, their uh, uh, placement in the organization, uh, in uh, both 2017 and 2018, uh, between 22 and 27% of those were owners. Uh, in 2017, 20% were board members. In 2018, it was down to about 12%, but a significant portion year in, year out uh, is, uh, uh, include board members of those organizations. Um, and about uh, uh, 43% in uh, 2018 and 48% in 2017 uh, remain high level, or not, or rather, not high level officials, not considered high level officials. Um, go back to our podcast a few weeks ago or a few uh, iterations ago to find out the difference between high-level personnel and substantial authority personnel. Um, but high-level, uh, high not high-level personnel make up about 50%, uh, give or take, uh, 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 of the uh, individuals that are sentenced along with organizations. Another interesting factor that uh, the Sentencing Commission collects data that they collect on these organizational sentencing cases year in, year out, are the percentage of organizations that self-report that end up being sentenced. Uh, no, Probably no surprise here that that number for the last five years at least, and I think uh, pretty much all the way back that they've been keeping this data, is zero. Um, uh, again, perhaps letting us know that organizations that reach the end of the road uh, and are being sensed, uh, you know, were not, uh, did not have an effective program uh, and did not uh, have a program where they were, would have the ability to self-report. Uh, so none, none of these organizations are getting credit for that. The vast majority, though, uh, year in, year out, get uh, some credit for cooperating with the investigation uh, once it had begun. Uh, so uh, that number... Uh, has lingered around uh, between 60 and 64 percent over the last few years, dipped a little bit last year to 59 percent uh, in, in, in 2018. But um, overall, uh, the vast majority of organizations, uh, six out of 10, uh, get some credit for cooperating with the investigation. Another important uh, uh, aspect of organizations, and particularly organizational probation, because as you know, you can't uh, put an organization in, in federal prison. Uh, you can find an organization, which you know is well and good. Uh, but what are the other things that a federal judge can do uh, when you have an organization that's violated the law? Well, one thing that a, a federal judge can do in an organizational probation is uh, suggest uh, or, or put in, or not rather, rather not suggest, but insist, put into the probation terms that an organization have uh, a court-ordered compliance and ethics as a component uh, of that probation or sentence in uh, uh, resolving that case. Uh, year in, year out, uh, that's a, a pretty consistent percentage. Uh, it's been between uh, 25 and 27% over the last five years, and it was 25.3% in 2018 last year that we have data for. You might ask, well, why isn't, high, isn't, it, isn't it higher? 
Well, again, I think it's safe to assume that many of these organizations, these small organizations that are getting sentenced, may cease to exist and may, may cease to exist very soon after, uh, if not uh, at the time uh, that the sentence is imposed. Um, and so it may not make practical sense uh, for a judge to uh, insist that there be um, court-ordered compliance or ethics as a component of that sentence. Uh, there may not be probation um, as a component of that sentence. Uh, so uh, having roughly a quarter of these organizations get some sort of compliance or ethics as a component, um, I think is uh, uh, reflective of that. And, and related to that, if you look at the type of uh, monetary sentences that are imposed on this group of organizations, uh, about 21% have fine and restitution uh, ordered in the case, and about 8% have restitution but no fine. So that works out to be about 29% of organizations have either a fine and restitution or, um, or restitution alone. Uh, and that kind of jibes with that 25% or so that are getting uh, uh, compliance as a component of their sentence. So, uh, you know, having restitution seems to suggest that it's going to be an ongoing uh, organization, ongoing concern, uh, and that they're, they're going to be around to deliver restitution. So they are also going to be around and need compliance as a component. About 52% of organizations get a fine, but no restitution. So I think those two numbers are consistent for that reason. I'm not going to go over these numbers on the podcast, but if you're interested, the other um, component of collecting fine and restitution information is that uh, the Sentencing Commission data has a lot of uh, breakdowns of what the fines look like. Uh, so many of you, if you're presenting information internally, um, sometimes we like to talk, we like to present information to our stakeholders about what happens when the wheels come off. Uh, and there are significant fines uh, and other costs associated to compliance failures. Uh, looking at the sentencing data at the U.S. Sentencing Commission's website and looking at the uh, organizational data in particular can be helpful because you can uh, provide your internal stakeholders uh, a window on uh, what uh, kind of fines are being paid by organizations that find themselves in front of a federal judge. So that might be interesting and helpful in that aspect of uh, uh, of, of explaining uh, the risks to your stakeholders. So um, that's just a little bit, a little window into the data uh, and information you can find out about organizations that have kind of had the worst thing uh, that could happen to them uh, based on a compliance failure. Uh, there's, again, a lot of data about the organizational sentencing guidelines, how they're applied, how the commission works. Uh, at the uh, Sentencing Commission's website. And again, that's ussc.gov. If you look in the show notes for this podcast, I will also have a link uh, where you can go directly uh, to the data and information I've been talking about today. But I hope you found that interesting. And uh, you know, it might be some data that you can use internally when you're talking about the, uh, the repercussions of compliance failures. I want to mention once again, uh, there's a webinar coming up on November the 7th with our friends at the Clear Law Institute. I'm going to be presenting on uh, Code of Conduct Best Practices. That's November 7th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the hyperlink to uh, register or at least review the materials uh, for registering for that webinar will be in the show notes for this podcast. As always, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. 
And if you have questions, comments, or would just like to get in touch with us, you can always reach us at compliancebeat.com, moreheadconsulting.com, or you can always email me directly at eric at moreheadconsulting.com. Thank you very much. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.